good to see each and every one of you here this fine August morning. I don't know about you, but in the years we've been up here in the north, this has been one of the finest summers we have ever seen. Yes, I see a few saying yes to that one. And uh, I guess with it, unfortunately, comes the the uh, forest fires. We're happy to hear that the uh, rain has made a difference. It hasn't changed our status as being uh, no-fire zones, but it certainly has uh, changed uh, the concerns that they have, particularly around the Elk Lake area. And uh, we just need to keep praying for those areas. Also, the Perry Sound number 33 has still got quite a bit of, of issues. Um, last report was six kilometers from uh, Highway 69, so let's keep praying for that area as well. And as we pray for those forest fires, let's also pray for those who are fighting the fires that uh, they may be given safety. Uh, Let's just further look to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning that as we gather together in this place, we can worship, adore, be reminded again of your goodness to us. Your goodness and your grace is from everlasting to everlasting. And uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you saw fit to enter into this world And not only to come into this world in time and space and history, but to come for many of us here into our hearts. And the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all is that Jesus loves me. We thank you again for this time. We pray that your Holy Spirit will minister even as he sees fit. And we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. As you will remember, we are looking at the topic of the various characters in the New Testament. And uh, so we've got some character studies that we're doing for the summer. And we've explored a number of different characters. And uh, this uh, is, I have a a twin set of characters, uh, the story of Simeon and the story of Anna. And uh, it's uh, really right at the very beginning of the history of the Lord Jesus found in uh, Luke, Luke's account. So we find that if you do have your Bibles, you can probably read along with this. Uh, We're reading from the New King James. So those of you who have that Bible version will be able to see that. And you'll notice that it follows um, the passage uh, that we're speaking of follows the eight days of the uh, that is completed for the circumcision of Jesus and verse 21. And his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Uh, rather interesting in context that the the passage that we have in front of us is set as a beginning of Luke's account. And so I've added a little bit from the Old Testament to show you the bridge that we have. Um, Malachi, the last prophet, the last of the of the prophets given by God before the New Testament era, 400 years of silence. And during that time, the expectation was for the prophet Elijah to come and turn the people, create a great repentance. And so they were expecting for 400 years. And so if you've been waiting on the return of Christ for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or 40 years, 
or even 60 years. That's small compared to 400 years. And of course, we can go back and know in history that indeed the, the expectation was that the Messiah, the Christ, was going to come. And even way back in the garden in Genesis, we had the promise given in Genesis 3.15 where the Lord said as a promise to Adam and Eve that the woman, the seed of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent, but he would bruise his heel. And certainly we have that hope right from the very beginning that there would be redemption, that it wasn't just a, a total collapse God's plan was still going to work. And so for thousands of years, those had been waiting. And now we find that this um, section of silence is now going to be transmitted from the Old Testament, all of the old three, three groups of books, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. And it was going to be now translated into once more. God is going to speak. I love the way the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know, by the way, who was the writer. Most think it's Paul, but we're not entirely sure. It could have been Barnabas or even Peter. But he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding of all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What a powerful, powerful reminder that God has spoken once more. And in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. There was a great number of people that were waiting for the Messiah. Of course, the shepherds were waiting in their fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And Luke has already recorded their waiting. And uh, some have said that uh, there is only one place around Bethlehem where the shepherds would be keeping care of the flocks of sheep. And these were the shepherds designated for the preparation of the sheep that were designed for the sacrifice in Jerusalem. Bethlehem was not too far from Jerusalem. The shepherds would keep their flocks there and there would be the place where they would select the one sheep that would represent, the one lamb that would represent the entire sins of the entire nation of Israel. And that's, that little lamb would be brought, that sheep would be brought in and slain in the temple and the blood offered once a year, and that blood would be the atoning blood for the sins of Israel. And so it was that there was a great number of people waiting for the coming of the Lord. Are you waiting for the coming of the Lord? You say, we are living on this side of the equation. So 2,000 years later, and the Lord has not yet returned. And there are people who are saying, where is the promise of his coming? Of course, that's what Peter says. They will say. So it's just another reminder that God's word is fulfilled. And he says, but he shall return. In like manner as you have seen him go, so he will return. And so the Lord Jesus is coming. I hope you're waiting for the coming of the Lord and not waiting in fear, but rather waiting in expectation, as were these two that we're going to be talking about today. And certainly this one that came, 
would speak through his word. He was the message, the word, and in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made, and in him was life, and that life was the light of man. And John, as he writes his gospel, speaks of the infinite word that came to us. It's funny how God's messages sometimes come. Sometimes they come in short phrases. Sometimes they come in people. Sometimes they come in experiences. But here, John says, it was God who came to us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. What a powerful message we have in the person of the Lord Jesus. And so Simeon, who was Simeon? Well, Simeon was a man in Jerusalem. Were people from Timmins, South Porcupine, Porcupine, Pottsville, Schumacher, wherever you hail from? I love it because it tells me that this is rooted in history. This is not just some myth or fairy tale, but rather the Word of God is accurate. In fact, Luke records that he, in the beginning, goes to the eyewitnesses, verse 1 of, of chapter 1. And it says, I gave you a perfect understanding to write an orderly account that you may know the certainty of these things in which you are instructed. Do you have certainty in God's word? Because the word of God was given so that we might have certainty. We might trust him who wrote it. You know, we all get letters and some of them are as phony as a a $12 bill. (laughs) Uh, You get a letter and it says, you've won a lottery. Have any of you got that one? You know, or the one that says, uh, here's a check for you, you know, for X amount of dollars. Just come down and take a loan from us and cash it. Or, uh, or uh, exercise your options and apply it to the purchase of a vehicle. Um, yeah. We've all had phony letters. These w- letters are authentic. They are accurate, trustworthy. But you say, oh, wait a minute, Dave, hold on. These are in English. This wasn't the language of the day. The language of the day was Aramaic in, in Jerusalem, uh, Hebrew, um, Greek, uh, Latin. Certainly, we're not talking about those kind of Bibles. Um, that's true. But they have been faithfully translated. And whatever translation you're using, I can assure you, with a few exceptions, there's a few out there that are not faithful, but... The majority of your translations, in fact, uh, the ones you're holding in your hands, I can guarantee you, they're faithful to the Word of God and to the accuracy. And we have paraphrases. Let's be careful. Their paraphrases are indeed that. But they're still helpful. I love the message because it it just brings me into that concept of knowing that that there is a a, a phrase today that really resonates with my heart and and the gentleman who worked out through the message uh, oftentimes uses that. Nevertheless, the accurate word of God is in front of you. And the word says that he came. This passage that we have, this man was in Jerusalem. And he was a just and a devout man. Now, the word just and devout is, a, is an interesting concept because it suggests that he was a righteous man. The word just, spoken of in Genesis 6, 9, it says Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Or, for example, Job, 
Have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him, a just man. And so this concept of justness suggests righteousness. But we're reminded this morning that even in the Old Testament, the righteousness that came to those in that day was not their own righteousness. David could say, I was born in iniquity. David could say, cleanse me from my sins, my secret sins. And so even in the Old Testament, they recognized that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous flee to it and are safe. That the righteousness that we have is imputed righteousness. It comes from God himself and none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon was a just man. He was a man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I love that. He too was waiting for the return of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, the one who would set things straight. Zechariah had said that he was waiting for him as well, that she, we would be saved from our enemies. Zechariah's uh, prayer is quoted, his prophecy is quoted in verse 71 of chapter 1. And that the hand of all who hate him. And the thought was in the day that they were expecting a Messiah who would come and deliver them from the yoke of the Romans. And uh, they would return that rulership to the kingdom of Israel. The rule of God to that kingdom. But that was not to be the plan for that consolation. Uh, The Holy Spirit, it says, was upon him as well. And... That's an interesting statement because the Holy Spirit, we understand it, comes in Acts chapter 2. And yet, here is a man who has the Holy Spirit revealing or come upon him. In our circles, oftentimes, we sometimes do not give the right place for the Holy Spirit to move amongst us. And indeed, the Holy Spirit is one who would desire to come into our lives. Romans says it in Romans 8 and in 9. It says, if any man has not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And so, part and parcel of what it means to receive Jesus into your life is to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is indeed a spirit of holiness. That is very important because what that means to me is that when Christ comes and dwells in our hearts, he gives us God's holiness. And it's not just imputed, it's also practical. Colossians 3, 12 to 15 puts it this way, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. And put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm reminded the other day, Wade and I were out working on the tire any of you who have heard, tried to put on one of those tires on a tractor know that it's a, it's a bit of a challenge when the air has gone out of the tire. And we were uh, trying to uh, 
trying to control the tire in such a way that we could push the ribs or the, the, the bead of the tire around the rim and get it to seat. Those who have had that experience know that it's not an easy task. The very first year we worked on that for about three years. Uh, the second year when the thing happened again, uh, did I say three years? <laughs> three hours. Let's correct that. It seemed like three years. <laughs> uh, but the second year that we worked on it, um, it's the same thing that happened again. So uh, we're a bit slow learners, I guess. The Lord uh, sort of said, uh, you're going to have this experience again. Go for it again, boys. And uh, uh, we we did. But this time we tried something a little different. We we prayed a little bit louder. Uh, we prayed actually out loud. I know we were praying inwardly the, the time before, but this time we actually prayed out loud. And... Uh, and it went a lot faster. I think it happened in about half an hour or 45 minutes or something like that. And uh, we were able to get it on fairly quickly. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, all too often we do not practice what these words say. That we are to be thankful to the Father. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We, not, we do not let the Word of Christ dwell in us. We do not teach and Monish one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so too, um, this is a part and parcel. God allows problems in our lives. Not that we would take those problems and become angry or frustrated, but rather that we take those problems and say, Lord, I'm your child. I'm your son, your daughter. And those problems are given to me that I might rejoice, as James says, joy in tribulation. And uh, are we joying in our tribulation? Uh, we take those problems and say, Lord, those are your problems now. I give them back to you. You daily bear my burdens. And so this man was waiting for the consolation of the Spirit of God to come upon this land. And this one was also had been revealed that the whole, by the Holy Spirit he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Wow, that's a powerful statement. Think of it. Of all the people in the entire Bible, this is the only man I know of that had that revelation. I mean, there were those who, like Isaiah said um, in Isaiah 53, that he was uh, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. He could see the crucifixion. Psalm 22. David, prophetically in, in, in his psalm, could see the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse, verse, verse 1 of Psalm 22. And he could say, you, 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 you pierced my hands and my feet. He could see this, but this man, Simeon, was going to see with his eyes and was told, that it would happen before he died. That's, that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? Um, boy, wouldn't that be something if our generation were to see the return of Christ before we passed away? Wouldn't that be something? And I love the fact that we and our generation can look forward with eager anticipation to the return of Jesus. It's an expectation. It could happen right now. There is nothing holding back other than the love and grace and mercy of the Lord. That's what holds him back. Because he sees our neighbors who have yet to turn. He sees the world in its lostness. He sees those who have yet to come to faith in Jesus. And he is not willing that any should perish. And is long-suffering. And so this man was 
revealed that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Wonderful thought. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, he wasn't in the temple. This is all happening outside of the temple. It was as I was studying this, it suddenly became apparent. I always had this picture of him standing in the temple and this is all going on. No. Simeon was a, a I guess you could call him a, a um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm trying to think of a word that would try to explain him. Well, first of all, he wasn't in the temple elite. He wasn't a part of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. He was coming into the temple. A godly man who's coming in to the temple. And in fact, as you read this passage and you see the example that is given of him, uh, it says that, that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. But it doesn't say that he was of the tribe of Levi. My understanding of Luke, because he's very accurate about his, uh, his recording, if this man had been known to be one of the tribes of the priestly tribe, he would have recorded it. Now, again, we, we're, we're, we have to be careful. We don't want to stay with something the Word of God doesn't say here. But we certainly know that he was a righteous man. The Holy Spirit had been upon him. And it had been revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not see. And he comes by the Spirit into the temple. And then it says, the parents brought in the Christ child to do for him according to the custom of the law. What was that? Well, they were coming in. In verse 22, it says that the days of Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. Forty days following the birth of the child, the mother and the father were to bring the child into the temple, according to Leviticus 12, and they were to make an offering. They were to make a sin offering, and they were to make a purification offering. And if they were really poor, they were to use a lamb, by the way, but if they were really poor, they could use two turtle doves, one to, one to offer for um, purification and one for sin offering. And in this case, we find that they're going in together, present, and Jesus was presented in the temple in the days of repurcation, verse 22, and, uh, and there was a man in Jerusalem who comes into the temple at that time. So he's not even a part of the temple process. And he, the parents brought in the child and they were bringing him to make this offering. We don't know whether they actually concluded the offering or not, but we do know this, that he swoops up this child in his arms and blesses God. Wow. He blesses God and he prays this prayer. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepared before the face of all people a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now it's rather interesting. Paul speaks a great deal of himself being the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter, the apostle to the Jews. Luke, who accompanies Paul on his missionary journeys, was writing this gospel as a gospel that would be primarily read by the Greeks by the Gentile people. And so he takes this verse from the Old Testament and this verse in, uh, in uh, Isaiah 9 and 2, 42 and 6, at 49 and 6, and 60 verses 1 to 3, all from Isaiah. He takes these verses and he quotes 
this gentleman Simeon to say, the light is to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Have you been doing any genealogies to find out your roots? Some of us, as we get older, start to do that. And as we do, we discover that, much like we were told, we have this heritage or that heritage. But most of us do not have Jewish heritage. Some perhaps do. The message of salvation was to come to the Jewish nation of Israel. He was the king of Israel. And yet, Israel as a nation has refused their king. And that king has said, that's okay. I'll set you aside for a time. And I will go to the world and be the king of this earth. And I'm so glad today that he has brought revelation to me, a Gentile. Has he brought revelation to you? Has he opened the eyes of your heart that you would believe and trust in him? And then, of course, we have this following prayer. He blesses them. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to think a blessing is indeed a blessing of peace. The Lord be upon, grace be upon you. Uh, lift up his face to you, give you peace. That kind of a blessing. I'm kind of more like that kind of blessing. Look at the kind of blessing he gives to Mary. This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And a, and a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce your own heart or soul also. That doesn't sound like too good a blessing, is it? The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Three aspects to that. I just suggest this. When Job lost everything through an attack from the devil, the big challenge was this, that his prosperity was what was making him righteous. He was happy in his prosperity according to the devil because a wall had been built around him. And the Lord says, no, no, he serves me not for what he can get out of it. He serves me because he loves me. The devil says, take it all away and I'll do, uh, he will curse you. So the Lord says, okay, I'll let him take it all away. And that happens. And there's Job standing with nothing. He's lost his income. He's lost his, his camels, his sheep, his oxen. He's lost his family, his children. And he says, the Lord gives. The Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, when the rubber really meets the road when you've lost it all, and all of a sudden you say, this is not what's really important. What's really important is my relationship with you, O Lord. And there have been times in my life when I've just looked up and said, you know, I'm not living for this world. Are you living for this world? Are you living for the comfort? You know, the whole... Church of God has the challenge before us, particularly the Western Church in North America, that so many of the Western Church is pursuing the goals of our secular society around us. I hope and pray that we're looking beyond. This world will soon be gone. Our lives will soon be past. And if we're not living for the future and eternal realms, we're not living. I remember... Uh, talking to a friend and he was talking about his uh, his friend that had passed away. I was reading it in a, in a, a magazine 
And he said, my friend was on his deathbed and his son came to him and said to him, oh, dad, are you, you don't go now. He says, I, I must go. I'm about ready to go. And he said, um, but, you know, we want you to stay in the land of the living. And his dad said, this is not the land of the living. This is the land of the dying. I am going to the land of the living. We need to keep that in perspective. All too often we are looking at this as being all there is. And it's not. There's so much more. And so Zacharias prayed this prayer. And, uh, or uh, Simeon prayed this prayer. And it was similar to Zacharias' prayer. And then there's Anna. And she's an interesting person because she actually was in the temple. Now, it wasn't the scribes and it wasn't the Pharisees that recognized the Messiah. But it was this widow of 84 years who served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, if I had a report card passed out and I was said, okay, Let's do a little survey here. Fasting. How many fast? How many of you have fasted this week? Oh, well, sure, yeah. I, I, every night I fast. It's called going to bed. <laughs> and then I break fast with bacon and eggs. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about those kind of fasts. I'm talking about the kind of fast that's deliberately putting God first before our stomachs and our, our natural desires and to actually take time to serve God and worship Him and pray. Because fasting without prayers is simply missing the point of fasting, as I understand it. And so, as, the, uh, as this woman, it says, was there in the, in the temple, 84 years departing from the temple and serving God with fastings and prayers night and day. Wow, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Fasting and prayers night and day. And at that instant she comes and gives thanks to the Lord. Now, this would have to have been in the section that was a part of the temple designated for the ladies. Uh, but she gave thanks to the Lord. And this is a very important truth. That the, each one of us has an influence for the Lord. Mothers... I thank God for a godly mother. I think you are aware that you have an influence. A saying is still very true. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the nation. And you have an influence over your children that is quite unique, quite special. You get to challenge your children, fathers. You get to challenge them to live for God. But let me tell you one thing. When we say one thing and we live another, guess what the children see? They see the, they see the reality of who we are really living for. And so we need to make sure that we both speak the truth in love and we follow through with living out the truth in love. And it says that at that instant she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him of those who she was not only grateful, but she spoke and she witnessed. Ah, the joy of being able to share the message to those around us. See, Paul 
said that we are to be witnesses. The Lord Jesus called us to go out into all the world to make disciples of all nations. We are to be witnesses. And it's important that every one of us be a witness. Anna was a wonderful witness for the Lord Jesus. So, what about us? Application. Got a picture of some seniors here. You know, the majority of most churches today have seniors as the majority. But those seniors are very anxious to see the middle age and the juniors come and fill the ranks. So if you're not a senior today in this group, be, be aware, be assured that we want you to take on the mantle of leadership. I'll repeat it. We don't want you to wait until the leaders are gone. We don't want you to wait until the leaders are dead. But we want you to take the baton in the race while both of us are still running. And I can assure you this would be the view of all the elders and deacons. And you. Right. And we want to see those who are the younger ones more actively involved in the work of the Lord. The joy of old age is not just taking vacations. The joy of old age is realizing our life is shorter and we only have so much time to make it count for Jesus. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so, we need to keep in perspective, I'm not anti-vacation, by the way, and neither is the Bible. So, if you think that I mean you don't take vacations, please, there is a place for a rest. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples after a very busy time, let's come away and rest a while. And if you don't come apart and rest a while, you just come apart. But the point is, we don't want to have a life of leisure. We are called to serve. And so, as we seniors move into the joy of old age, we also recognize that there is the joy of the Holy Spirit, continuously walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. When was the last time the Holy Spirit told you to do something and you did it? Ah, I'm serious. Uh, Some of you could say half an hour ago. Others of us might look back a month, two months, three months, and we went back and we say, What? The Holy Spirit speaks to you? Oh, yeah. He better be speaking to you. He better be speaking to me. Not just in his word, by the way. He never disagrees with his word. Let me be clear. There's never the time when the Holy Spirit says something different than the word of God. He never tells you to sin. He doesn't tell you to do wrong. But what he does do is he influences us. He is that silent guide. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Is he guiding you? And then, of course... As uh, we look at this, we also look at the joy of anticipating the return of Christ. These two individuals both were waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I'd like to say that regardless of what prophetic timetable you have, everyone must anticipate in their day and in their time the return of Christ. That is the expectation of the gospel of Jesus. And finally, the joy of witnessing. 
And there's nothing quite like being able to share with someone else. But if you're too shy, don't forget there are other ways of doing it. There are tracts that you can leave. There are New Testaments or Bibles you can give out. The Gideons do it all the time. But you don't have to be a Gideon to give out the Word of God. You just go out and buy a few Bibles and give them out. You see, the Word of God is that which brings the person to salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's not my Word. It's not my might. It's His Word. It's His might. It's His Spirit, says the Lord. And so, the challenge. Choose now. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be said. Someone might be amongst us today who's never called upon the name of the Lord. I would trust that this would be your day to call upon him. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No ifs, buts, or ands. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes. Did you notice? It's the heart. So many of us believe in the head. If we only believe in the head and we've never submitted the heart, then it's not true faith. The Bible's clear. It's the heart from out of the heart proceeds the issues of life. And you need to believe in the heart. And what do you believe? That your sins have been forgiven. And that Jesus Christ was the one who now has not only forgiven your sins, but has taken your place on that cross. And confession is made unto salvation. May God allow each one of us to do so this day. These two, Anna and Simeon, interesting, small people in the Bible perhaps, and yet they're forever recorded in the book of books. Their names are in the book. Now, our names aren't going to be in that book, but I hope they're in the book of life. And as we go from this place, may we do so with the assurance that we have submitted ourselves to your word and that we are living for Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity we've had to be together today. We thank you for your sweet comfort and encouragement. We look forward to, even as the disciple of old could say, even so, come Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we will live in the light of your soon coming return. And as we do so, we will be your faithful witnesses Lord, if there be amongst us one or more that has yet to submit their need of their heart to you, may this be their day. May you, hope by the Holy Spirit, just grab a hold of them, give them a shake, and remind them again that you love them incredibly. You sent your beloved Son. And so he died that we might live. And there's nothing more we need to do but to submit and trust in you. And so we thank you again for this day. We commit ourselves to you and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.